Acts chapter 16, we'll, we'll start reading in verse um, 25, but it'll, it'll take us a minute. We, we started a few weeks ago um, this series on the five solas of the Reformation, these five onlys of the Reformation. The Reformation began 500 years ago this month as a, as a protest against the abuses of power and corruptions and the unbiblical teachings of the Catholic Church at that time during the Middle Ages. And so those five solas or the five onlys are uh, Scripture alone. Only, only Scripture is our uh, infallible source of truth. There, there's truth found in other places, but Scripture alone is inerrant and without error. That salvation is found in Christ alone, in no other thing, in no other person. Salvation is found in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And this became the, the rally cry of the Reformation. That this is, this is what they confessed, this is what bound them together. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, that um, as we confess that Scripture is our final authority for faith in life, that Scripture points exclusively to Christ as the source of our salvation. We read last week from Acts chapter 4, he says, and there is salvation in no one else. Like you could just do a full stop right there. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. Salvation and no one else, only Jesus. So if you were here last week, we talked about um, our temptation is to, is to think of salvation as Jesus or, right? Jesus or this other path or Jesus or this other religion. It's Jesus or some, it's some other way. Or we, we mistake it and think it's Jesus and. It's Jesus and our sincerity. It's Jesus and our behavior. It's Jesus and our being free from our own doubts. But scripture says, no, Jesus alone. And so this week, I want to look at this third point, this third of the five solas showing us the only means of our salvation. Our salvation is by faith alone. As we said last week, this is a critical question for us because what we're asking when we're thinking about this issue is we're asking, uh, what must I do to be saved? I mean, is, is there a more important question than that? I don't think so. What must I do to be saved? How can, I, how can I be made right before God? How can I become a Christian? What do I have to do to become a Christian? Martin Luther, one of the men who started the Reformation 500 years ago, he struggled with this particular question um, for over 10 years of his life. Uh, one commentator, biographer said, Luther fasted, Luther prayed, Luther slept without blankets. He deprived himself of every worldly comfort and pleasure and yet all he did seemed to fall short of securing his assurance of salvation. He couldn't do enough. He couldn't work hard enough. He couldn't fast enough. He couldn't pray enough. No matter how hard he tried, his efforts, his works, could not compensate for the weight of his guilt. He goes on to say, even though Luther was a monk, he lived in a monastery, a lifestyle that would seem to offer very limited opportunity to sin, and yet... Luther sometimes spent up to six hours per day, yeah, six hours per day on his knees confessing his sins, terrified that he might forget one of his sins and therefore be condemned. And no, no matter how hard he worked at confession, he still felt no closer to God. He kept trying to work his way there, and that's not how we get there. We can't work hard enough, right? 
Some of us have been wearing ourselves out our whole lives trying to work our way up that mountain, but it's by faith alone. What must we do to be saved? I'm going to read this uh, passage for us in Acts chapter 16. This is uh, the story. Um, Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, they had just exercised a demon from this uh, small slave girl. Um, and, and this slave girl, through this demonic power, um, could, could tell fortunes and prophesy. And so she was making profit for her slave owners. And so when they cast this demon out and delivered this girl, they were thrown in prison. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God, and again, in prison. And the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone, everyone's bonds were unfastened. And, and then when the jailer woke, he thought, he, you know, he'd been sleeping on the job, and he woke up to see, oh my gosh, this just happened, this earthquake happened, now all these, all these people are free and will no doubt escape. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because, you know, uh, if these prisoners escape, I'm a dead man anyway. And But Paul, again, the one who was in prison, he calls out to this man, he says, don't harm yourself, we're here, we haven't gone anywhere. And the jailer called out for the lights and um, rushed in. And then trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He could see something about these men were different. The one that they sang to and about was different. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How in the world could I experience the freedom that you men are experiencing while enslaved in prison? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And, and the way Paul responds is very simply this. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe. That's, that's what Paul, when, when asked, what, how do I become a Christian? What must I do to be saved? How can I be made right, right before God? The response is very simply, believe. Believe. Trust. Faith alone. Let me say another prayer for us. God, I pray that we would be people of faith this morning. God, I pray that you would... Um, God, we thank you for our belief. We pray that you help our unbelief. And God, we pray that you would help us not to believe uh, in the wrong things or, or in ourselves or in someone else or in a past experience, but we would believe and put our faith exclusively with you. So God, help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So essentially the question is, what do, I, what do I bring to the table, right? If I'm talking about the, the gift of God and salvation, what do we bring to the table? What does Justin offer in this transaction? And this, this question really is the pivotal question throughout church history. Uh, one of the reformers, John Calvin, he says, this doctrine of justification by faith alone is the pivotal hinge upon which our whole religion turns. If you get this wrong, you get it all wrong, Right? The doctrine of justification by faith, Martin Luther says, is the article by which the church stands or falls. He goes on to say that the article is the head and the cornerstone of the church, which alone begets and nourishes and builds and preserves and protects the church. Without this doctrine, the church cannot survive. We can't work our way to God. We simply have to respond with trust. Yet many Christians today, unfortunately, they still, they still live in a 
faith plus kind of theology. You know, maybe for you it's, it's Jesus plus this or that, or it's faith plus this and that. There was a, a study a few years ago from the University of Virginia, um, the sociologist James Hunter. He, he was uh, polling an evangelical uh, seminarians. And 35% of these evangelical seminary students uh, denied that faith in Christ was absolutely necessary for salvation. Another study about George Barna says that uh, basically the same figure, about 35% of evangelical Protestants in America say God will save all good people when they die, regardless of whether they've trusted in Christ or not. Evangelical Protestants in America. Over one-fourth of born-again evangelical surveyed agree with this statement. If a person is good or does enough good deeds... Um, for other people during his life, they will earn their place in heaven. I'm going to tell you, church, we can't do it. We, we can't be sincere enough. We can't be a good enough person. We can't live a good enough life. We can't do enough good deeds. It, it will never be enough. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Paul says it's not of your own doing, it's a gift. It's the gift of God, not as a result of your works. Why? So that no one can boast. We bring nothing to the table. We simply are called to respond in grief. Only, not because of, of our sincerity, not because of our kindness, only by receiving this gift of faith with, with empty hands, trusting only in Christ. Now why is this doctrine so important? Why is this the doctrine that the reformer said everything else uh, hinges on? One, one writer says, no other doctrine so illustrates the sinfulness of man, the futility of our efforts to try to save ourselves. No other doctrine glorifies Christ as the sole ground of our salvation. And no other doctrine establishes the security of the believer in Christ as this does, since no other doctrine is so vital to biblical preaching and effective Christian ministry. So I want to hit all those four things. I want to look at our, that, that this doctrine affirms our, our sinfulness. This doctrine affirms our inability to save ourselves. This doctrine of faith alone affirms the glory and power of Christ in our salvation. And it affirms the security of the believer. It gives us hope for the future instead of crushing guilt and burdens of how, how in the world can we do enough to, again, as the, as the survey said, earn our place in heaven. We can't do it. So here's number one. This doctrine affirms our sinfulness and our need for salvation. Paul will say in Romans, and it's and you know, the, though this is the consistent theme throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there's a few books like the book of Romans, like the book of Galatians that are devoted exclusively to this doctrine that they are trying to explain what it means to be justified by faith alone. And Paul says in Romans 3, none is righteous. N no. Not one person. No one understands. No one seeks God. Instead, all have sinned. That's all of us. All have sinned. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
He goes on to say in verse 21 in Romans 3, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Not, not through what we've done, but through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. How? To be received by faith. What are, we, what, what are you called to do? What, what is the response that we're to offer from God's gracious gift? We believe it. We trust it. And you think, that sure sounds easy, right? Like, what else? Like, we just, we want something else. I was, I was speaking at a men's retreat this weekend for our daughter church in Magnolia. Um, we were talking about, you know, there's something about men, maybe especially, where we sometimes just want to do things the hardest possible way that we can, just to prove that we can do it, right? And so I think, yeah, I think, I think for many of us, even when we hear, what, what, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, uh, believe in Jesus. And we go, yeah, yeah, but what else? Yeah, I get that, but what, what else really am I supposed to do? I, I need to feel like I'm bringing something to the table. And Paul says, none is righteous. No one seeks God. Not even one. No one is good. This is to be received only by faith. Terry Johnson says, God is our judge. He is our righteousness. His wrath is revealed against human sin. His law standard, it's unachievable. Man is a rebel. Man is a lawbreaker. A moral and religious failure. And hopelessly lost. That's the bad news, right? One of my, one of my favorite quotes is that the gospel is bad news before it's good news. We have to understand this, that this doctrine um, that the church hangs on, this doctrine of justification by faith, the first thing that it affirms is that we need saving. It affirms our sinfulness. It affirms our need. Here's number two. It affirms our inability to save ourselves. It takes the power away from us in our salvation. Again, Paul in Romans 5. This is good news, church. For a while we were still weak. At just the right time, Christ died. For what? For, for those who were well-behaved? For, for the faithful? Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though maybe perhaps for a, um, a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, my, my wife and I were talking last night. Um, just think about the way that you yourself judge people, right? Just, just the judgments that you pass on other people. Maybe when you see the way they raise their kids or, or how hard they work or how hard they don't work or how they speak or how they dress or how they behave, just, just your standard of judgment alone, right? I'm, we're not even talking about God's standard. I'm talking about your own standard that you use to judge other people how do you stand up against your own judgment? Probably not very well. I, 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 I am crushed myself under the judgment that, is, um, that, that compels me to judge other people. One writer says, the gospel teaches that whatever we do in order to get right with God, it'll never work. Our obedience is never pure enough. Our love is never earnest enough. It doesn't matter how many times we go to church or say a creed or put money in the plate. All of our attempts are futile. <clears throat> our religion, church, will not save us. 
Our morality will not save us. There is nothing we can do to escape God's wrath in ourselves. Our, our efforts to make ourselves right before God are completely futile because He is too holy and we are too corrupt. Michael Horton said that the Reformation was, more than anything else, an assault on faith in humanity. Right? So what we want to do, we want to believe in ourselves. Right? We, we want to celebrate self-actualization. We just think, if I can be the best me that I can be, well then I've got it. Right? I've nailed it. And the Reformation was a direct assault on that kind of belief in yourself. You, we, we are made, don't, don't misunderstand me, church, we are made in the image of God. We are, we are equal in, in dignity, value, self-worth, that, that God loves us. He created us in his image. He, he wants to bring us into his family. But don't think for a minute that doesn't mean that we're broken and flawed, that we are in desperate need, and that we, we far too quickly put our faith in ourselves. So it affirms our sinfulness and our need for salvation. It affirms our, our inability to save ourselves. We can't even stand against our own judgments. Here's number three. It affirms the glory and the power of Christ in our salvation. Charles Spurgeon said, and I love this, he says, it's not written that he believeth on Jesus nine parts out of ten and on himself the other ten, no, he says, whatever you believe, believe on him. On him alone, Jesus will never be a part-time savior. You can't, you can't think, I believe in Jesus nine-tenths, but that one-tenth, it's really on me. It's really on me. Faith must be on him alone. Sinclair Ferguson says, faith is complete reliance on another. It's complete reliance on another. It is Christ-directed, not self-directed. It is Christ-reliant, not self-reliant. It, it involves the abandoning of self, not the congratulating of self. This is the great exchange. This is the great, great exchange that Martin Luther talked about, the great exchange that C.S. Lewis talks about. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. He, he takes our sin and he nails it uh, to the cross, bleeds out for our sin, dies for our sin, and then beats the devil, beats Satan, beat death, is raised from the dead, and then he gives us new life. He gives us his righteousness that we didn't deserve. So like, what part did you play in that? None. We simply receive it with open hands. I love that passage in 1 John. You know, we just went through the book of John. 1 John 2, it says that Jesus is our, we have a advocate. I remember growing up listening to, like, watching Billy Graham crusades on TV. Um, and, I, you know, I would remember this story he would tell uh, pretty often at, at his rallies. And he would say, you know, when, when you die and you get to heaven... You know, maybe, maybe they even, you know, whatever, maybe they show a, a movie of your life. And what would, when God asks you, why should I let you into heaven, what will you say? And, and the, more, the more I read scripture, I think, he shouldn't let me into heaven. I've got nothing to say. I'm caught red-handed. I'm guilty standing in God's presence. But scripture says what? But we have an advocate. We have an advocate. We have, we have a man who is there present when we stand before God, caught guilty, caught red-handed. If, if he says, why should I let you into heaven? We say, we, we have no reason other than this man right here. What, this man paid my ticket. 
I, I, I couldn't do it on my own. I tried really hard. I worked as hard as I could, but I never could make it quite there. It affirms the glory and the power of Christ in our salvation, not our own glory, not our own power, not our own work. Here's number four. It affirms the security of the believer. Right? So the security is not placed on ourselves, but our security is anchored in the finality of what Christ did on the cross. He said, it is finished. There's nothing more for you to do. Just believe what I have done. Again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not of your own doing. It's a gift. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any gift. For as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and hear this church, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus. He will sustain us to the end. Uh, one of the commentators on this passage he tells a story about a, you know, a father and son going to a county fair. Um, and they go up to one of the booths and uh, you, know, it's, it's, you see the balloons on the wall and you can just throw a dart and hit one of the balloons or hit three of the balloons and you'll get this big prize. And so the dad walks up, dad pulls out his wallet, he gives the man the money, he picks up the dart, he nails all the balloons, pops everyone and gets this big, beautiful teddy bear. And then he looks at his kid he says, this is for you. This is for you. And the kid takes it, and the kid loves it, and the kid enjoys it, enjoys it. He received it, but what part did he play in winning that prize? None. He just opened his hands and he received it. He, there, there, he has no credit for the possession of that prize. The real reason or the ground of, his, of that gift, it's not of our prize receiving, Right? It's of his prize winning. He, he, he punched the balloon. He paid the ticket. His accomplishments secured the gift that made its possession possible. Faith is empty-handed. It receives a gift. It receives the gift of God. One writer says, salvation was accomplished in the past. It is experienced in the present, and it's guaranteed for the future. Because it was not earned, it can't be unearned. Some of us, some of us struggle our whole lives because we're, just, we're trying to earn something we can't. We're trying to pay a bill we can't afford. Or, or we think it's paid, but we, we live with this guilt or this fear or this insecurity that at some point we're going to lose it. We're going to mess up enough to lose it. What is not earned cannot be unearned. Because it was not deserved, it can't be undeserved. Our justification is a past event, anchored in eternity, accomplished on the cross, declared in time, presently possessed, and cannot be lost. This is, we hope in Christ. We hope in what he did. What, did not, what we did not win, we cannot lose. Scripture says in Romans 8, There is therefore now... No condemnation 
for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important that we ask this question. So, okay, we, we get that, we're, that it's, it's not about works. It's not about what we can do. We can't try hard enough. We can't do well enough. We can't be good enough. But what is the relationship? What is the relationship between what we believe and how we behave? What is the relationship between faith and works? Because the brother of Jesus, James himself, says in Scripture, someone will say, you have faith and I have works, right? And he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe in God, well, good, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So if, it, if for you it's just the intellectual belief that, okay, yeah, I get it. I believe that God is God. I believe that Jesus was his son. But that, that faith is not lived out in action and in works. He says, you're doing about as well as a demon. They understand that much. But to believe and to work, to, to live out that faith, he says, do you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You see, the person is justified by works, not by faith alone. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The reformers were, were famous and they all quoted each other. And this was a statement that they continued to repeat throughout the Reformation. We are saved by faith alone but not by faith that is alone. You hear that? We are saved, we are justified by faith alone, simply by trusting in the finished work of Christ, but that faith is never alone. Faith, by definition, is lived out. Right, so if I, if I brought a chair up here and I said, I want you to believe me, this chair can hold you, it can support you, it will do the job that you think it can do, and you look and say, I believe you, that belief means nothing until you sit down, Right? Until you put yourself in that seat and say, I trust. I'm going to act on that belief. I believe that it will hold me. Works do not and cannot save us. But true faith works. It works. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. You've got to ask yourselves, have, have the roots gone down into the soil? Are, they, are you producing fruit in your life? Can you see the fruit of the Spirit? It's not just about what you think you know. It's about that faith pushing itself out into your life, into your family, into your community, shaping how you think, how you work, how you live, how you love, how you forgive. Faith works. Marcus and I, went right, right after Marcus got back from Kenya, um, we had lunch the other day at Longhorn, and it was great. We, we were catching up here in about Africa. We had a great time, great lunch. Uh, and then when we, we saw a couple friends while we were in there, and then when we got up to pay, um, the, the server said, oh, someone's already got your bill. Someone paid your ticket, which, for one, that's a benefit of being a pastor, right? So you see, you know, just FYI, if we're in a restaurant, you buy our lunch, that makes our day. So um, I'm just setting it up right now. Um, and I, and I want to give credit. I want to give credit where credit is due. J.B. Royer bought our lunch. I love that man, and he's a, he's a very, very gracious man. So we were there, we, we asked the server, hey, where's our ticket, we're ready to cash out. Um, and she said, there is no ticket, your bill's been paid. Now, I had, a, I had a choice there, right, in that moment. I could have, I could have not believed, I, I could have said, I don't believe you. And tried to pay. But my, my money would, would mean nothing, the bill has been paid. I don't owe anything else. It's been paid for me. So I can either disbelieve that, and work as hard as I can to pay that bill, or 
I can, I can believe. And I can walk out with a free lunch. Now, I don't have to tell you, I chose to believe in that moment. I chose to act in faith in that moment. And I walked out with a full belly and a smiling face. That bill was paid apart from my knowledge. That bill was paid apart from my consent, apart from my thought that I even needed or wanted anybody to pay my bill. Someone else, out of love, out of generosity, paid what I owed. My response was simply to trust and to live believing that someone had. This is salvation by faith. Faith is trusting that someone else has paid your bill in full. And you believe it. And you live as though it's true. I'm going to ask you this morning to look to Christ alone. Trust in him alone. Don't trust in a past experience. Don't, don't trust in maybe one special moment you had back in life. Don't trust on your, on your track record or your reputation. Put your faith exclusively, solely, entirely upon Christ. Will you bow with me as we pray this morning and prepare to take communion together? God, we love you. We thank you that you did for us what we could have never, ever, ever, ever done for ourselves. And God, I pray that we would trust you this morning. God, I pray that we would trust you in every way possible, that we would believe that you did what you said you did, that we would believe that what you said is true, that you have saved us, God, that that on the cross it was finished, that our, our response is simply to believe that and live in light of that reality. God, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray for, for, for those who have been wearing themselves out their whole life, that this would be a moment where they would feel that burden lifted and they would trust in you. And I pray for all of us, God, that this would be a reminder for us that we would leave here worshiping. God, secure in our faith, thankful in our faith, able to rest in life knowing that we are forgiven. Everything we've done, everything we've thought, Everything that we will do, everything that's been done to us, God, we, we look to you and we say, God, you are the only one who can make it right and you made it right on the cross. And we will fully experience that and enjoy that reality when we get to heaven to be with you. So God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.